welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm gonna be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Mark DeClivelo, an American-based Japanese New Zealand DJ, musician, composer, and producer who's making headwinds in Web3. The reason why I wanted to have him on is because he's doing something super unique. He's trying to buy back his music catalog from the record labels that he initially signed with. He wants to own his music and then democratize that with people and his audience and his fans that love and adore his craft. Uh, so primarily the point of bringing him on is one, to share a story of course, but two, to teach us all how he's actually doing it. How is he going by buying back his catalog? What are the steps involved? What are the challenges he's encountered? Uh, what does he plan to do once he's bought back his catalog? So a lot to unpack here. I hope you guys enjoy. Mark, welcome to Mint, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you for being on. I'm good, man. What's up? Thank you for having me here. Uh, what an exciting time to be alive, huh? Right? Every That's day. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> every day. I haven't been this happy every day in a long time. <laughs> Let's go. What's what's driving majority of your happiness right now? Um, I think I'm, I'm obviously a Web3 junkie, but um, okay. it's, that, it's that whole thing where things are changing every day and evolving and and getting improved upon and ideated on and the emergence is, is everywhere. So it's, it's like, you never know what's going to happen each day. And the last time I had that feeling was when I first went to the UK to London and I was doing studio sessions with different people every day. And I'd wake up in the morning thinking by the time I go to bed, there'll be some new music, which never existed before today. Yeah. And that's what web three is doing. Like that's what web three is doing. So speaking of web three, okay. <laughs> I always like to start with intros before we before we jump into like what's yeah. actually happening. So who are you, Mark? Okay, what does the world need to know about you? Uh, and more specifically, how did you get your start in crypto, in Web3, the whole shebang? Totally, man. Um, so I'm a musician. I'm a composer, producer, a DJ, remix, kind of do every, everything there is. Um, I grew up in New Zealand and partly between Japan and New Zealand, but mostly in New Zealand and learned piano from like, age four, like my dad forced me on the instrument. So there was no choice. I grew up playing classical music and then started messing around with like Beatles song books and stuff like that. Fell in love with jazz um, through my dad's record collection primarily actually. And um, I just loved the idea of improvisation, you know, growing up playing classical, it was like, yo, let's, let's free this up. Um, and then my life became this kind of weird pendulum swing between wanting to be like a straight ahead acoustic jazz piano player in the mold of history and then falling in love with boom bap hip hop and like club music and jungle and drum and bass and house music and kind of going back and forth between these two things. Like I, I did some college in Boston at, at Berkeley. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Japan with family there as I was kind of getting to the music scene in, in Tokyo and things led me to London. Like I, I got a, a fellowship in New Zealand, which allowed me to travel the world for a year chasing music. So wow. I focused I focus that around the UK because the girl I was seeing then had moved to the UK. But um, it was like, you know, I was in Cuba, San Fran, New York, London, Paris, Tokyo, Sydney, just for a year. It was nuts. But that that was an epiphany time and pre, you know, pre YouTube. So you had to go to places for, for real. Um, and that kind of led me into this world of this hybridity of jazz and club music, which is really where I evolved mostly in the UK, in London. I spent 10 years there, 
firstly as a, as a session keyboard player and then as a producer and remixer and live performer. And I kind of, you know, I was, I was one of the first people to do things like you have ostensibly what's a jazz group and then you bring an MPC, like you bring a drum machine into the band and, and like programming live and sampling live mm. with the band, that kind of hybrid hybridity, which isn't that unusual now. It was totally Un, un, unthought of then so when was this G- give me give me a date like what so th- so this is like going going into like 98 was when it really peaked for me okay as far as as far as hearing music that was the culmination of everything i'd grown up loving and it was re-digested and assimilated and re-expressed in a whole way i'd never imagined possible mm. like that was wild for me like seeing seeing guys on a like a this guy ig culture producer in london seeing him on a sp1200 drum machine just banging out beats and it sounded like like a, a harvey mason drum solo like it just it i didn't understand but i was like yes i understand i found my people <laughs> so that kind of brought me to this point in music of like okay i can i can bring the jazz what i love about jazz improvisation organicness evolution and i can intersect it with what i love about electronic music you know, the, the, the textures, the sonics, the, the, the whole culture of loops, dance floors. And that became my thing. Mm. I spent I spent 20 years recording, releasing, touring. I was on the road literally half the year, every year for 20 years until COVID hit. Wow. Um, and so that was through, you know, I was with, I was with ma- a major label to start with, with Universal. I went through all iterations of independent deals and then self-releases and everything agents, managers, self-agenting, self-managing, like I did it all. And so for 20 years, have been able to travel the world, play literally everywhere and develop this kind of, I guess, a cult audience everywhere. Um, and it's it's a, it's a niche, but it's like a, a prevalent niche everywhere I've gone, which is beautiful. Um, so, so then COVID hits, obviously, touring, gone, calendar, empty. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and it, you know every, every musician on earth had the same reaction. It's like, what are we going to do, right? So I had dabbled in crypto. I would say 2017, like that that moment right before it crashed. When if you were the last to hear about it, it's like, oh, let me go in now. This is like making money. <laughs> like I'm going to make it. I'm going to make bank now, right? And then obviously the whole thing crashed. And I didn't have I didn't have kind of like a information community around me or a mentorship community where i understood anything about what crypto really was like i understood the premise kind of but that was it so Mm. it was funny recently i I was looking back at my coinbase transaction history and i was like wait i sold bitcoin in 2017 like what the what (laughs) what was i thinking (laughs) um but then yeah so pandemic hits and that was really the turning point like you know the way clubhouse took off and the conversations just just happened right um, and then my real kind of coming into the space, which is my Genesis collection, um, a project called Motherland. So, twenty nine summer twenty nineteen, I was on an on a artist residency in Japan, and one of the other artists on that residency who I met and became friends with then was Sersu. And so, um, Amir, like I I didn't know anything about his kind of involvement with crypto, but I met him as a visual artist and on this artist residency. Mm. So I, I shot all the footage, which became the motherland film. I shot it during that residency. Oh, um, cool. 
and then you know COVID hits and I'm like well, I, I, did, I never knew what I was going to do with the footage but it eventually became evident I wanted to explore it through an ancestral homage music art piece and I put this all together mm-hmm. and then I was like well this is this is too much I, I can't just put this on YouTube and Spotify it doesn't make sense this is like a narrative kind of it's an art piece yeah and so I was speaking to Amir de Sersu and he's like man you you got to mint this this is and and the reason you have to mint this is because it's a it's cultural narrative and so what was interesting to me now looking back over the last year is being mentored into the space by someone who really instilled the idea in me of the importance of putting culture on chain. Hmm. So the achievement wasn't like, I mean, the goal wasn't like, okay, I, 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 I need to bag 15 ETH from this project. And it's like, obviously, whatever money comes in, fantastic. But the whole principle and the success was to put the project on chain. So it's a contribution to culture on chain. And so that kind of became my founding kind of premise for how I look at Web3 and my, you know, I think the way you're brought in is really important, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that, and that gave me my perspective. And then over the last year, it's been everything. Um, you know, joining the FWB community and love that, meeting a lot of people through there. Yeah. Um, you know, starting up a mentorship program, doing my NFTs, like, joining a crew and building a new web three music platform, which will hopefully happen this year. And just nice. like, it's, it's, it's gone, it's gone full, full 180. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. you've, you've really lived very much a traditional life of a artist, of a musician. Yeah. Um, and now you're coming into web three or you've, you've been in web three exploring the new fronts of where music intersects with crypto um, and exploring this level of independency, essentially that, that you're after. But why why is Web three the perfect medium for music beyond beyond bringing culture on chain, right? Because that's that's sure. also in, in NFTs in general with art, with fashion. Sure, I mean the the perfect medium for music is live, right? Mm-hmm. Like to be to be literal. Um, but for the I think for the exploitation of music and for the um, financialization of it and the sense and community building. Like for all those aspects, Web3 provides solutions, you know, primarily through de- decentralization. Like, you know, the idea that, you know, like my MySpace account, I would love to have that back. Are you kidding me? Like with all the all the content, comments, really? friends, like just to see it, like all that data is gone forever. Like it's gone, right? Um, so that perspective, I think, is really important of being able to, you know, have immutability and you know, perpetual content. I think that's really important. Um, and then access to our people, like the way, the way if I post on Instagram, like what is it, two percent or five percent of people who 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 chose to follow my account will see what I want to share with them. I mean, all that kind of thing. It's you know nothing sustainable. And I think it's more for me more than the solutions Web three provides. It's about how problematic the music industry has been up to this point in time. That the the entire music industry, I believe, is is predicated on the idea of exploiting the creative in favor of the exploiter. That's that is the music industry. You know, music mm-hmm. is a different conversation. Music as art and music in as human culture, that's different. But the industry, it, it it's not there for music to 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 be great. <laughs> like that's not what it's made for. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there's a p- potential solution to that, 
that excites me to no end. Like that, that's it for me. And so now we have all these toolings to explore the idea of a potential solution without the middleman, without, you know, it's, it's the first time in history when musicians have not been behind the ball with tech and industry. And I say that to say that, you know, whether it's any technological development in music history, but let's go with the most recent ones like MP3, like download, digital download culture and then streaming, we weren't like those things happened and then we had to comply. That was how, that's how it worked. And then the same way with the industry, the way all the industry framework is put together, it's intentionally made in a convoluted way. So it's difficult to find all your money that belongs to your asset called music. And it's, it's very convoluted and that's by design. It's like, it's difficult for a musician to understand that all by design. So to take those two aspects and have a tooling, which can just get rid of both of them. I'm like, yeah, this is at the worst. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Can you can you talk more about? So you just went on a, on a little bit of a, an an example tangent of comparing traditional music to crypto music. Okay. Um, can you talk more about like what are the biggest like insights that you've developed as a traditional artist coming into Web three that maybe others won't necessarily have the purview of seeing. Right. So you talked about payments, right? You talked about all these dashboards. Uh, you talked about uh, uh, social media data and right in like everything li living on one centralized server versus being repurposed on other platforms. Um, what other like interesting insights that might not be as common to the more modern day uh, independent artists that you're kind of seeing being a better format in Web3 for them? Totally, man. I, I think one thing that comes to mind straight away is how labels work in the traditional system and that is you know there's two kinds of labels fundamentally there's one that's a catalog label mm -hmm. and there's one that's a new music label some of them are big enough to be both but you know as far as people who are new to like new artists and emerging artists and aspiring artists we're talking about new music labels primarily so their whole business model is based on you have some new music it, get, it has a buzz, they capitalize on the buzz, and then they make some money. But the buzz is, by definition, it always happens when the new release cycle is happening. You know, if you're one of these huge artists who, is, who just kind of can plateau at a really high level consistently, I mean, that's, that's an anomaly, cool. But for the average artist um, in any genre, you're going to peak when a new release comes out, and then it's going to kind of plateau down. And so the label has never had any kind of financial incentive or tooling to, to keep your exploitation consistent. In other words, to keep your money growing and to keep you in the marketplace if you're not in the new release cycle. So the best thing they can do is come back to you as an artist and say, yo, give us a new album and then we can push you and that'll push your old album. Right. And, then, and, you, and we're in this cycle, right? It's never ending. So I think that's one fundamental thing where, you know, like... I mean, someone we all talk about a lot, Latasha, who's just doing incredible things in the space, the way she'll give you like a new joint, a recent joint, an old joint. And it's like this, it's all, it's all art, it's all music, and it's all valid. And just because, like for me with my catalog, just because a track was recorded in 2005 doesn't reduce the value of the track. Right. But in the traditional system, it does. Like until some show 
decides oh. to sink it, then it comes to life again. Otherwise, let's talk about that again really quick. Why? Why is an old track new in crypto? Why is that okay versus not okay? <laughs> That's a really interesting insight because I have realized that a lot of artists that jump into Web three and music they end up publishing and minting tracks that already were in existence that already have streams like blau mm -hmm. is the best example of that right totally all totally. the all the songs that he mm -hmm. basically sold that in that iconic drop that made headlines those were all repurposed tracks right mm -hmm. that were brought mm -hmm. that re were re-brought to life excuse me why is that acceptable here oh i mean why shouldn't it be right <laughs> like also true like why should it not be yeah yeah at, at the end of the day it's like if if we looked at, looked at visual art through the same lens, then you could look at an artist who, I mean, they've all, every artist I think of right now is not even alive, but you could say, well, you know, their old work, I mean, it's old. Like, that's not worth any money. Like, I want, I want the new joint. Like, you know, Picasso. I want that new Picasso. I don't want the old Picasso. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, this is, to me, this is art. And I think there's a distinction here to make as well between, um, between, you know, music in its genres and functionality is a huge spectrum. And I skew to art music. You know, I skew to music as art before I skew to music as product. And that's not a to disparage anything because I, you know, it's, I don't know. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, really quick. So I just want to clarify something like, yeah. Not all old music doesn't do well if it's repurposed, right? Like oh. you can still hear yeah. Michael Jackson's songs like being played, right? Totally. And it's old stuff. Like his his catalog totally. has value. Like your oh YouTube catalog has value. It still accumulates views depending on there who you go. are, yeah. right? But I, I, I see what you're saying. Like with more everyday songs, those don't get necessarily repurposed on mainstream radio or on Spotify playlists because they're already in the past. Right. Whereas exactly. here on this medium, you're actually reintroducing them as an, in a new format and a new way to capture true value, depending on what the market wants to value it as. One hundred percent, man. Okay. You know, the, 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 yeah, the, the way that the way that back catalog is part of an artist's story and yeah. that we now have a tooling to be able to, t to share our story and frame it in our own way. That's totally unique. You know, beyond that, it's like, you know, you click on discography on Spotify and it's a, some JPEGs. Yeah. But for me to be actually contextualize that for people is amazing. Yeah. And and it's and the, at that point, it's it's not about, and I alluded to this before, it's not even about it being collected or bought. It's about it being on chain. And when it gets to the point when it, when it, it meets its collector, you know, the person who this, yeah, I resonate with this, then, then that becomes a transaction. Cool. But it's much more important to me that the story is there, mm -hmm. and I think you know we have a we have a thing happening in the space already where you know people feel like oh if my NFT didn't sell on the day I dropped it that's it's a failure I'm going to burn it or whatever it might be and <laughs> and that's I'm, that happens right but it's like <laughs> if if you're putting this into a into a space forever yeah. then maybe you know maybe it's going to meet its collector in five years time and. And, you know, that doesn't pay the rent this month, but there's so much value in that to me. Yeah. No, I hear you. So speaking speaking of catalogs, speaking, speaking about uh, uh, buyback, speaking about all these things, uh, it's a perfect segue into what <laughs> where we are currently uh, with you specifically, Mark, as a creator. You have two main things that you're kind of working on right now uh, in Web3 is buying back your catalog and owning your work and your art 
and also building some form of creator club around you, uh, around your music, around your niche, uh, and the collectors that, that decide to support you and be a, a part of your journey. So the first thing I want to talk about, okay, is this buyback crowdfund. Um, first of all, congratulations, because you're already more than halfway uh, at your funding goal. And I'll share my screen uh, in a second for everybody that's watching on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, go check out the YouTube because it's really, really interesting what you're doing. Okay. Can you give us all some context? What it is that you're trying to buy back? Why are you using crypto as the medium to do it? Um, and where are you going to take it once you have it? For sure, man. I mean, this is, this is uh, the fact that I was able to deploy this crowdfund alone to me is, is really huge. You know, the conversation it's, it's kind of risen, given rise to with a lot of artists is, is, entertaining at the very least and kind of paradigm shifting at, at most. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, raise funds through the Mirror Crowd Fund in order to buy back, to reacquire seven of my back catalog albums from the labels who control them. And the idea is that, you know, there's about, um, there's about 15 or 16 albums. I say about because some are, I'm producing other artists, but if I look at my catalog, it's around that number. So it's around half the catalog. And the idea is in reacquiring that, my whole back catalog becomes the foundational asset for a DAO, for the Mashy Beats DAO. And that, you know, Mashy Beats was, it was my, my record label at first. And now it's kind of become a, you know, a Discord community, a collector, creator kind of convergence. And, from, and I realized, okay, well, now the label can kind of be revived, but not as a label. Like there's, there's something to, to build on here. So the idea of buyback, you know, firstly, getting my own catalog back as an artist personally is so important to me because I do believe we should, you know, we should own our stuff. And it's also important to me because these seven albums are, you know, kind of gathering dust with the labels who have them. Because as we talked about earlier, most labels don't have the tooling or vision or, or they're too risk averse to support old catalog you know they want the new album so these albums they, they tick over you know on their dsps on their spotify's and on Bandcamp and vinyl and whatever it ticks over but there's no there's no care given to it there's no growth potential and so i'm like let me bring this back into under one umbrella so i because i care about it you know i want it to grow and i can see what this can grow into also at this point in my career like that's 20 years of albums and so it's it's like a that's a life's work for a lot of artists. I have a lot more to come ahead of me, but it's almost like a nice way to look at a chapter and be like, let me just kind of silo off this first 20 years and use it to build the next 20 years. So the idea with the, with the mirror um, crowdfund campaign is that, you know, everyone gets tokens for their contributions relative to their amounts. I think it's like a thousand tokens to one ETH. So the tokens are the buyback token and then the buyback token becomes the top level governance token for Mashy Beats DAO. So essentially those, those, those crowdfund contributors become the committee with which we're going to move forward with the DAO. And that's going to be, I mean, it's, it's kind of what we expect of a DAO at this point, as far as proposals and snapshot voting, you know, people having a say, I think there's an interesting conversation there around creator DAOs where there people feel like there's a risk of, you know, I don't want to open up my creative process to voting. And that's not what I'm doing um, at all. You know, I, I 
that will never be the case. You know, as mm-hmm. a as a creator, I'm autonomous and you know, I've spent over 20 years not one time compromising stylistically, so I'm not about to start now. But then when it comes to, you know, how do we build the treasury? You know, what's the strategy for this? Maybe there's these five sick projects, but I can only do one right now. Which one do we think is the most beneficial for the community and the DAO? And then, okay, the treasury's got a surplus now. What are we going to do with this? Let's let's bring in some more artists. And, you know, so basically having a community co-op label is the, the idea. And I liken it to, you know, if I took some of my favorite, favorite, favorite labels, like say a say a Blue Note Records and a Def Jam Records and a Brain Feeder Records, and it was right at the beginning of their stories, but they were all one label, and I could have a seat at that table in the evolution and development of it. To me, there's a that's a really interesting proposition, which I, I would have loved to do that. So that's what I'm trying to trying to create. Got it. Got it. What's up, guys? Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi, Zedrun, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. So there's a couple things here, okay? Um, and let me let me actually share my my screen for a minute, okay? Give me a second. Um, I want to pull up the value and actually what it is specifically uh, that people are buying back, okay? Um, so we know it's the catalog, but um, this is basically like an overview. So, so today you've raised 8.68 ETH. Your funding goal is 12 ETH. Um, and you have about what, 60, 39, 39 backers today so far, each collectively getting their own perks and their own NFTs. Um, talk to me more about like what happens afterwards now that you collected your, your, your work. Okay. You're probably earning royalties on this work as well, right? You're probably making money off this work that's being uh, it's being conducted through some type of rev share with these labels. Um, and I apologize if I miss this, but are you going to be sharing some of the royalties with like DAO contributors as well, or what does that look like? For sure, um, no, I'm not. Um, I think the, the 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 royalty fractionalization conversation. I know it's very polarizing, um, and I'm. I'm on the side of not doing it, um, mm-hmm. but I. It was interesting actually speaking with um, with I don't know if you know decent decent mm-hmm. XYZ. Mm-hmm. Speaking with them recently, I was like, oh, that's an interesting take on it. So I'm you know there's room to move. But to get mm-hmm. back to to the to the buyback, so there's no um, master or IP share implied in the buyback tokens. You know the idea is that future revenue helps fund the treasury. And then the community who have the to- the token holding community have the governance over the treasury. If at some point, you know, say there's like thirty ETH in there, and the proposal is, do we want to you know prorate pay this out to the token holders? 
mm-hmm. that, that can happen. You know, like any, anything can happen. But also the the, the whole you know SEC securities issue. Um, that this is the only yeah. way I, I could do that basically without yeah. going a whole other route. Um, so, and by the way, I only asked that question from a very like dumbed down point of view because it is illegal to do that. Like, well, like, exactly, and yeah. because people are offering like you know, like Royal went through, they have a whole legal framework to make that even a possibility. Like, yeah. it's not you can't just as an independent artist, you can't just offer up your royalties connected to a token. Like, yeah. Yeah, um, makes sense. Makes sense. So, thanks for the question. <laughs> no, yeah, no, and and I say this again because part of these conversations are aimed to be uh, educational. Now, I've had people mm-hmm. on the podcast before that have they're like, just fuck, like fuck that. Like, I'm just gonna do what I think I, I need to do. I want to share revenue with my with my collectors. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own point of view, their own direction. Everybody's building in public. So, mm-hmm. while it is still very much a gray area, uh, none of this is meant and intended to be like financial or legal advice, right? More so documenting the pulse and seeing what's happening and how people are kind of like responding and reacting and building in public. Um, So just to to make that clear so I don't get attacked later on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you buy your catalog, you own it. You talked about future revenue coming back to the DAO. What Mm -hmm. type of revenue streams do you imagine coming back to the DAO? I'm going to list a few. Like concerts, merchandise. What are we talking about? What kind of revenue? I mean, I see it as being the like the further web three exploitation of the catalog. So primarily that means NFTs in whatever shape or form that could be, you know, that goes back to the treasury and then a percentage of what we could call terrestrial revenue. So DSPs, um, sync licenses, anything of that kind of sort. Um, Yeah. So a, a portion of everything goes back as far as anything else, like when it comes to concerts, tours, merch, I mean, I'd be happy. I'd be happy, and it would be quite fun with tours to break down the budget for all the buyback holders, because that's there's nothing in touring, like there's nothing in it. Um, there's when I say nothing, I don't mean there's nothing, but proportionately for the hours you put in, you know, for the 15 hour flight each way, for that 40 minutes on stage. I mean, touring's not. It's it's not the money maker that we're told it is, and. And that, and that kind of ties back to my whole perspective as a as a traditional industry artist coming into Web3 is that the traditional industry has literally traumatized artists into thinking what's acceptable. Sure. It's like, you know, whether touring is your is your primary revenue, you know, this is how much Spotify pays. And and so just being able to shake all that off and try and re- recontextualize it is is dope. Um, so yeah. I'm, diver- I'm diverging from what you're saying, though. Yeah, no, no, I, I hear you. Okay, so... NFT revenue, merch revenue, if in any uh, uh, touring revenue. Um, and now that all this revenue is in the DAO, okay, what, what happens, happens next? Yeah. Totally. So, I mean, I personally have, I'm sure like you do too, like a laundry list of projects I want to do in the space. Yeah. And so that's one thing is putting those all to proposal and just seeing what it, what is really beneficial and doable and how to prioritize those. Um you know how to how to take the back catalog, and I want to get some. I want to get Web three artists remixing it too, like have remix drops which are recontextualizing the back catalog mm. in collaboration with artists who are in the space, mm-hmm. um, and also maybe the same kind of approach to bring like producers who I'm who I'm tight with who are not in the space help bring them in. Like man, let's remix some of my old work. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll NFT this and like get you in the space. So using the back catalog in that way, 
And then beyond that, I'm really excited to bring on artists, like mm. to basically get to a point where we can say, okay, now there's now there's some money in the treasury. Wouldn't it be crazy if this if these two collaborated and that's never happened? Let's let's make it happen, mm-hmm. you know. And having a chance to be really creative with it, and knowing that you know, based on the foundation of what I represent through my artistry and Mashy Beats as a community, knowing that okay, I can get some. I can get like some, some one of my favorite jazz drummers, like an Eric Harland or Nate Smith or someone, and then I can team them up with this person from this whole other world, and mm-hmm. and they'll probably be down because we're tight, and and you know, <laughs> so so to, to be to have a, so a sick. freedom to create things which wouldn't be possible. That yeah. is wild to me. Yeah, wild. So so what's the legality of actually buying back? your catalog and who are you who are you buying it back from who owns it right now right so there's two labels and okay. one of one of them made me sign an nda before we could even start talking about this like i i alluded to i told them what i wanted to do and they're like yeah nda then we can talk which is that's wild in itself as a as an, as an idea um and so they're both independent labels with pretty large artist catalogs are they well known? Um, Are they like relatively well known in the artist community? Um, in in my world, absolutely a hundred percent. Um and they they're very active. You know, they have a lot of artists and a lot of releases. And so this whole issue of like a new release becoming obsolete in proactiveness, that's that's kind of common with both of these 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 mm-hmm. labels. Um and so mo- like what people people talk a lot about owning your masters and the ill and the evils of a deal, which is in perpetuity. And they're totally right. The reality is that more and more and more deals are not in perpetuity. Now they're licensed deals. And so that might be a short time, like three years, five years, it might be 25, 30 years. Um, And for all intents and purposes, the label basically owns the masters for the period of the license, right? what people kind of overlook with that is that if the label cannot earn back all the recoupables, so the costs that the project has incurred, then even a short license, a three-year license, that'll go on forever until it's recouped. So it's it's kind of a, it's a bit of a trick there. So yeah. these albums are all on licenses and some of them are on horrifically long licenses with a label who has no intention of supporting the, the product. And then some are with a label who just don't have the tooling to to make to get them to earn more to recoup. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, so in, let, in, let me, in short, I'm not naming names. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so really quick, what kind of support are you looking for that they're not providing that you think communities could provide in crypto? Right. So the I, th- I think the point is here, it's not even so much the community in crypto, it's more myself. Like okay. I can do, I can reimagine anything with this work. I can contextualize it however I want to. And these labels are not interested in that conversation. Okay. You know, one of them was never interested in the conversation. Like even when the, when, when it was new, I was like, well, what if we did this little thing and it would cost this much, it would recoup in this time. And like, no, nah, we can't do that. It's mm. like, well, why are we even in business? Because we yeah. signed a contract. Okay. So this like, yeah. Got it. Mm. Hmm. But it's interesting because in the independent music sector, licensing is the norm. Right. 
And the situation you find, like, say, a year after the new release, this is normal. Like, that, uh-huh. that, unless you're touring super hardcore, but then as soon as you stop touring hardcore, you better have a new record to drop. So it's just, it's like how, it's, it's a, what's a, a hamster wheel, right? Like a yeah. Groundhog Day hamster wheel that it, and it ends up really, it does inflict on people's relationships, mental health, and most independent artists are chasing their tails, like eating hand to mouth month to month. And then you might have a great month and then you might have a shit month, you know, sure. so that there's a reality to that, which I think web three possibilities from, from one of one collectors through the edition supporters, through the crowd funds, like to be able to create infrastructure, which can then, you know, take the foot off your neck a little bit and, yeah. and allow you to get back to creating. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, can you paint for me a roadmap, uh, uh, a plan for others that want to follow in your footstep, that want to take control of their catalogs, that want to tap into Web3, they want to buy back their art so they can own it and then co-own it alongside with fans and, and community members. How do you do that? How, <laughs> how do you go by doing that? Because what we see on the surface, Mark, is the polished pitch. Right. right. And, the, and the money getting raised. Right. Right. What the hell happened in the back end, back behind the scene to get to the point where you wrote this blog post to basically issue the process of buying back your work? How can other people basically learn from you to apply that in their own context? Man, the, so the the way it looks as the way the idea is presented and the way it works with the token and what the token represents, that was like a. I think there were like six kind of ver- versions of this whole thing. So the idea got workshopped and kind of brainstormed a lot. And I think that's important for any idea anyway, like, mm-hmm. like to, to have a, have a little brain trust. You can, you can depend on people you can go to who are happy to sit down with you, go through something and offer their perspective. Cause like mm-hmm. no matter how on point we think we are, you know, blind spots are, are human nature. Right. Um, but so rewinding before that, you know, I had to approach these labels and that wasn't the most, you know, friendly, com- friendly yeah. or comfortable conversation yeah. to have. So but like, I was, you want to leave us? Like what? Like this is unprecedented. We've never yeah. had this happen before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was very, very polite, and um, and I've tried through this whole campaign to not look like I'm label bashing. Because, you know, labels, some labels Dude, are good here, here, and there's a the functionality. Thing. Exactly. Like everybody has their own needs, their own wants, yeah. their own requirements. Yes. Like there is there is no bashing. Everybody has their own level of expertise, their own level of skills that they need outsourcing mm-hmm. and help with. Mm-hmm. They need this type of like it's there is no there is no cookie cutter like puzzle piece here. None of that shit exists. Right. hundred um, percent. And and just like a side tangent, I think like throughout a lot of the content that I create, people may interpret it as me bashing on like the middleman. <laughs> and rather it's it's less about that it's more so even the middlemen can partake in this and just adjust their models to this new era right it's gonna to be a new way of thinking it's like yeah it's happening whether whether they like it or not kind of thing exactly exactly and that okay, whole thing so- is you know if, if middlemen are if it's equitable i'm cool but for me equitable means that the person who created the the art or the product the art product should always be the majority earner always yeah and it's and it's things are the other way around, so it's like yeah. that's where middlemen need to catch up for sure. But anyways, um, I digress. So totally, first step, totally, step totally. one: approach the label, approach your your partners. Yeah. Hey guys, yeah, I want out. Step one. Yeah. Step two. Yeah, like like th- this is this is why this is what. How much would that? How much is this? 
Yeah, you know, because it's got you got to put a dollar figure on it, right? Um, and and then, how do you figure out the how do you figure out the dollar figure actually? It's based on on um, future on projected future earnings. Okay, right. so that's difficult with a perpetual deal. Like to buy a record out of a perpetual deal, I wouldn't even know how to. That, that's like you need you need a, a ninja ninja level lawyer, mm-hmm. like for sure. But with a license deal, you can you can project this right. Um, so you can look at okay, so there's 20 years left on the license. It earns this much per year, so that's that times 20. Um, maybe they want it. Maybe they want to sweeten it up a little bit or whatever. So mm-hmm. a little back and forth. You land on a number. Um, I one of one of the labels pushed back on me actually soon after because I I subtweeted something and um, but you know like I know how to subtweet <laughs> like un- unless if I subtweet about you unless you're the person that did the thing no one's gonna know what yeah. I'm talking about yeah. Right, so it's like the the fact you picked up on this is hilarious, but they were kind of like, look, if you continue to tweet kind of like this, I was like, well, look, look at my Twitter feed. Most of what I talk about is about the music industry. Most of it's anecdotal, and most of it is like redacted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is what it is. <laughs> um, but it was interesting that there was that kind of immediate like they came back to me saying, well, you know, you know, we don't have to give you your records back. And so that could be interesting. It's like you go to you you raise the make the raise, go back to the label, like, hey, can you invoice me for that bread? And I'll send it to yeah. you. And they're like, well, actually, we're not gonna we're not gonna do the deal. Yeah. So that's an interesting proposition there. And then it then that's when it goes legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes a battle, which is the 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 principle of all this to honestly is more important to me than my catalog. I want the catalog back, but the idea of proof of concept around some disruption and new model iteration, like that's so much more important to me because, because people, there are other people are going to do this better than me. Right. Like at, without doubt. And I'm so excited to see that happen. Okay. So step one, contact them. Step two, if you need to get legality and lawyers involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Step three, come to some terms of dollar amounts uh, of what the value is worth. Um, step four, Get your shit back. <laughs> Get your shit back. You know, so issue the crowdfund. Yeah, issue the crowdfund. Um, and I mean, I we don't we don't even have kind of best practice strategies around crypto crowdfunds at this point. Sure. So so whatever with that. But yeah, get the crowdfund out. And then it's just a process of like you know, it's transactional. You pay you you know, pay the amount. They take it off DSPs. You put it back up on DSPs if that's what you want to do. Hmm. The um the the, the IS, IS, ISRC codes will retain all the data. So, well, I mean, not literally, not like a smart contract, but for example, if something's had 10 million plays, it gets taken down, I put it back up. As long as it's, a, it's the same length file, same ISRC code, that all gets oh, retained. Oh, shit. So you lose all the streaming data around that too. No, you, you, you retain it as long as you keep the ISRC code. Oh, and, okay, 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 okay. And the okay, file okay. length is the same. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. This is like this is like the first time I've thought ISRC codes are actually useful because I've always been like, why do <laughs> if if I can't get my money instantly, what are they for? You know. <laughs> okay, solid, solid. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, what comes after that? So yeah, after that is as far as the buyback, um, the the governance level of the DAO, like that'll be a discussion too. Like what what happens next? Like I've imagined. You know, like, what if I put the whole catalog on 
something built off Nina or something like this, you know, mm-hmm. what would that look like having the whole catalog on the blockchain? Um, you know, that's one perspective. One perspective is like I was mentioning, like remixing, reimagining. Um, but then really it's just about moving forward. Let's make new work. You know, this is when I say the back catalog is the foundational asset of the DAO and the treasury, what that means to me most of all is there's something there which can create value as and when needed. And mm-hmm. that can't quite be measured in advance. Mm-hmm. But my biggest motivation in anything is to create new art, new music, new collaborations, right. contribute newness to the world. And so I don't I'm I'm not a, I'm not trying to get caught up on a loop of like my back catalog, my back catalog, you know, but but it's it's there to to build off. So, you know, I'm we're like all of us experimenting in plain sight that really excites me i don't know what that, where that's going to lead and you know in, any roadmap with any more detail i'd be lying because mm-hmm. all i can promise is that it probably won't be that you know? yeah yeah but i, I mean yeah. i th- there's i was just gonna say that there's, there's projects in mind that are too alpha to share but i just know right. this is going to facilitate some sure. wild wild shit yeah so that sounds like that's like the last, like that's that's the end of everything. Like you got it, now figure out what to do with it, right? And, and figure out what to do with it alongside the people who helped you purchase it and build exactly. some type of tangible community and figure out retention, figure out engagement, figure out mm-hmm. how you can keep people engaged, um, figure out um, how they can support you even more. What other things can you issue that might that they might be interested in doing? Because like talk about upselling, right? In a very traditional sense, like, if you're a collector, if I collected something, chances are I'll collect something from that person again if they continue to like wow me, quote unquote, which you shouldn't be doing things to wow other people. Like if you pursue your craft and you pursue your creativity, that should be enough to bring more people in, right? You shouldn't 100%. be doing things for the collectors kind of thing. Like we look like we, I'm, I'm a very amateur collector, like very amateur, right? But I look for things that like wow me kind of thing. And if an artist continues to wow, you know, like, wow, like this is cool. Like, let's support. Anyways, I digress. Okay, cool. I think that's super helpful, Mark. Uh, and I think a lot, I, I hope a lot of people listen to this. And if they do decide to kind of pursue the, the same model that you're pursuing and the same plan, plan of action, uh, that they can learn from you and use you as a guide uh, using this audio. So super helpful. You know, you, you talk about like, you pitch this concept already to some of the labels for, for an extent. Why don't we try this and experiment with this? And you're like, yeah, no, we can't do that. And you would think that everybody is Spotify's bitch. And you would think that that this type of medium would actually be a cool experimentative medium to explore new ways to monetize, new ways to engage, new ways to be innovative, new ways to be first at something. But you see people hesitant with it. Why? Like the first thing that comes to mind as to why they're hesitant with it is because it's like, it's just change. It's something new. It's different. They have their business model. They make money from it. Like this is what they're used to. Why the hell would you put money into something that you're very uncertain about? But if you look at some of the best companies in the world, they allocate money to R&D. They try to find, they try to innovate. They try to spark things internally that might be, you know, an avenue that might grow or put them out of business kind of thing, right? And that's not to say that Web3 will put them out of business. Nobody knows that. What For sure. Think? For sure. Everybody's but Spotify's bitch. I don't know. Like <laughs> you, you would think like, I don't know. I'm talking out loud here. <laughs> No, no, it's all good. I mean, you're on point. I mean, I feel like the labels, I mean, labels don't have the profit margin for R&D, let alone artist development. You know, artist development is very rare now. It used to be standard with labels. Um, But I think there's just so much risk. It's like, 
it's like the same reason we don't see Drake in the space. It's like, if it doesn't work, that's not a good look. So I think there's a bit of insecurity around that. But more to the point, I think right now is that the mainstream media narrative around crypto and blockchain and NFTs is horrific. And it's like, it plays a role. It totally, I mean, I've, I definitely had pushback, um, you know, so, so on my, on my mailing list, I did a mail out when buyback launched and, you know, mostly people who replied were supportive. I did get one reply. It was like, you know, I'm a longtime fan. I love what you do. But what do you say to people who followed your instructions and then lost 30% of their money yesterday? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, my, 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 the timing of buyback with the market, not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, we, you know, we know that, well, this is the best time to come in. <laughs> um, yeah. But that whole education is it's so complicated. So for a label to risk that, I think is there's a lot of risk there. So I can see the apprehension, but the mindset doesn't help. You're right. Like there's a fundamental mindset of this is how the industry works. So this is how we work. And by the way, the deal we offer you is a little better than their deal. Therefore, we're the good guys. <laughs> it's like, no, you're, you're still not the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're we're starting to appear, uh, see appear um, these like DAOs dedicated to buying music catalogs, um, mm. um, and in a very smart, intelligent way. Um, and Universal Music Group is not going to spin up a DAO, at least not yet. Atlantic is not going to do it. Interscope is not going to do it. They're going to end up being LPs, investors in other DAOs that have the subject knowledge, subject knowledge expertise that want to spend time innovating, that want to spend time experimentating, which will be beyond their grasp and beyond their wheelhouse of like central focus. So I think at some point we're going to see more of these like record labels. They're going to like, it's it's like a dumb move not to do it. It's a dumb move not to, to, to further uh, uh, explore what's happening. And I may be dumb thinking like they're not even doing it. They're probably already doing it, like for the most part. I mean, right? I'm, I'm sure they have... I'm sure every major has their kind of whatever they call it sure. NFT department, right? But right. I I highly doubt they're staffed by the right people. Yeah, you know that. But just speaking to what you're saying about like that they, you know, hopefully they would adopt in some way. Like I, when when MP3 happened, like, you know, I was I was in London. I was very much part of a vinyl community, mm-hmm. like. You know, for someone to press up a 12-inch of some underground club music and sell 10,000 copies was not unusual. And that was pretty good money, too. And then at the at the bottom end of the scale, it's like you do a new 12-inch and maybe Japan pre, pre-orders 1,000 copies. And, like, now people struggle to sell 500 units of, like, a super yeah. independent kind of release. So, you know, it was all about vinyl. Sometimes CD, mostly vinyl. Then MP3 comes in and vinyl like you know we talk about the vinyl resurgence because it died it got killed so you know early 2000s vinyl got killed and i saw distributors in london who who were the they were the distributor for whole ecosystems of labels and i saw them go bankrupt like left right and center because they didn't believe mp3 was real music or they didn't you know if it's not on vinyl it's not real or like this or this is not even going to take off and you know like from our perspective now 20 years later like you know mp3 underpins the entire music ecosystem (laughs) so so yeah i mean it's you know that whole thing of adapt or die i think is very real um 
and time will tell if Web3 is another of those kind of zeitgeist harbingers. Yeah. Yeah, man. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm I'm rooting for you. I uh, Full transparency, I contributed, I think, 0.1 ETH, if I remember Thank correctly. you, man. I appreciate you. Of course, dude. Um, I know it's not a lot, but hopefully it's something. It all um, helps. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited for your journey. I'm excited for people to be watching you because you are the example of what what's going on right now. Um, everybody's building in public, and uh, I think uh, I think, and I amend you actually for for what you're doing. I think it's super cool. Um, so, Mark, before before I let you go, really quick, uh, any last words? Any <laughs> any final messages? Because your crowdfund is still going. It is so, still going. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I. Any 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 support with the crowdfund is amazing, and that's like that's that's a, that's everything from a retweet to a conversation about it. Like I I know there are labels and artists seeing the crowdfund and having the conversation, and that's that's really excites me. So yeah, I appreciate all the support with that. We have a few days left, and super hyped to push it over the over the goal line and just be able to get that project rolling. Um, and beyond that, yeah, I'm just. You know, I'm I'm here for everyone in the space to win, and I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing us all experiment in different ways, different models. But I really feel like you know, if you're as as a as a creator, whether it's you know music, visual art, whatever it might be, if if that's your passion and there's integrity and diligence there, then I want you to win. And in this new world, you, we're all going to, you know, we're all going to make yeah. it right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I believe it. So I'm just happy to be part of the, part of the, you know, the community and looking forward to what comes next. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Mark, final question, mm. because the crowdfund is still going, what happens if it doesn't get fulfilled? <laughs> That's a great question. So if it doesn't reach the goal, then, um, I mean, there's different options. My first option is going to be to wait a little bit for the market to recover. Um, and then I can reach the goal because okay. the goal, you know, the, the labels will come fiat. So that's that's the, the goals are in fiat. Um, and then beyond that, if I've got to top it up myself, what, what whatever has to be done. Like this is happening no matter what. You know, the, the, the governance level of Mashy Beats with the buyback token, that's happening no matter what. The next projects yeah. are happening no matter what. Yeah. Amazing, dude. I'm rooting for you. Mark, where can we find you? Where can we learn more about what you're doing before I let you go? Shill yourself. Give us the deets. For sure. Thanks, man. Um, I mean, Twitter is the easiest place. It's my initials, MDCL. Um, otherwise, what do you mean otherwise? That's where to find me. Find me on Twitter. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the pinned tweet will always be whatever I really want to let you know about. And you'll know what, you'll know where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Mark. Good shit, man. Let's do this again soon. Uh, we should definitely do one once the crowdfund fulfills and you actually buy back the catalog. Yeah, man. That's fulfilled. And we, we will do a recap. And, uh, and if it doesn't get fulfilled, uh, we'll also do a recap and kind of learn about the process afterwards and what you're doing to kind of make it happen. So, Rooting 100%. for you, man. Let's man, go. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> of course.